Welcome to this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the story of Joseph in the biblical era of the patriarchs, which is the second era in salvation history. And we'll also be diving into the story of Judah and Tamar as well. A a really fascinating story and one that I think will shed a little bit of light on the story of Joseph. If you're not already, go ahead and subscribe to the Bible Readers Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you just don't miss out on any of our episodes on the eras of salvation, salvation history. I'm so glad you're joining us today on the Bible Readers Podcast. Follow along on this journey through Scripture. We come finally to the last patriarch of the book of Genesis, Joseph. Today, we're going to discuss Joseph's pride and downfall and his astonishing rise to power, seeing how he rescues the chosen family of God from almost certain annihilation. But before we discuss that, we're going to examine Joseph's brothers first. Last episode, we looked at the story of Jacob and Esau which is a story that deals with hatred and deceit among brothers. And this theme will continue in Joseph's story. So we're going to examine Joseph's brothers more closely than you may have in the past. Another thing to keep in your mind as you listen to this is the doctrine of the providence of God, which is the action of God which orders all events in history towards his glory. That theme is going to be heavily present throughout this narrative. So with that, let's discuss the birth of Joseph and then Joseph's brothers. You may remember from last episode that Jacob has two wives, Rachel and Leah. Rachel is the wife that he originally desired, but he's tricked by his uncle Laban into marrying Rachel's older, less beautiful sister, Leah. And he eventually also marries Rachel, but at the price of seven years of labor. But he loves Rachel and despises Leah. And God sees this, and so he blesses Leah with children, but Rachel remains barren. This continues for some time until Rachel finally is able to conceive, and she gives birth to a son, a boy named Joseph. And because Joseph is the only son of the wife he actually loves, he shows immense favoritism to Joseph. He gives him gifts. He bestows upon him a special robe. Sometimes this is called a coat of many colors. But I believe the original Hebrew is actually unclear as to why this robe is so special. But in any case, the robe is a clear, visible mark that Joseph is the specially favored son of Jacob. And this makes Joseph's older brothers particularly upset. Now, a word about Joseph's brothers. We get two stories about them that depict their character leading into the story of Joseph. And the first is shortly after Jacob reconciles with Esau. Jacob has moved his family back to the land of Shechem, which which is in the modern-day West Bank. And when they settle there, one of Jacob's daughters named Dinah is horrifically raped by the prince of Shechem. And now this is a tragic and really tricky situation for Jacob's family. You see, Jacob desires peace with his neighbors, so to ensure the safety of his family, but this crime must be atoned for. And moreover, Dinah's plight is really the most terrible. Not only has she 
experienced this assault, but now she may not be able to find a husband because of the patriarchal customs of the time, and so her future economic stability is also threatened. And so Jacob comes to an agreement with the king of Shechem. The prince will marry Dinah and take her under his care. And to modern readers, this seems like an awful solution. But within the historical context, this may be the only way to provide a future for Dinah, unfortunately. In any case, the agreement is for the Shechemites to circumcise all the males of the town and for the prince to marry Dinah. But Jacob's sons, Dinah's brothers, disapprove. And after the men of Shechem have undergone the circumcision and are vulnerable because of the pain from the surgery, they ambush the town and slaughter all of the men. This causes the rest of the Shechemites to attack Jacob, and Jacob is only able to escape because of miraculous intervention from God. So what does this show us about Jacob's brothers? I think we can see a few things. They're rash and reactionary. They desire vengeance over justice. They want to avenge wrongs done to their sister, regardless of the actual consequences for her. I think this tells us something about these men. The other story we have about Jacob's brothers centers, or Joseph's brothers, excuse me, centers upon Jacob's son, Judah. Judah has three sons, and the oldest marries a woman named Tamar. Now, the first two sons are evil, wicked men, and they are slain by God. The text really doesn't tell us all that much uh, about why, except for the second one. Uh, But in any case, they're slain by God, and this leaves Tamar a childless widow, which is an extremely socially dangerous place for a woman in the ancient world to be. And so the custom at the time was that if a man died without having children, his brothers would take the widow as one of his wives and provide her with children who can carry on the family line of the dead brother and provide for their mother in her old age. But Tamar has had two husbands die and Judah doesn't want his youngest son to marry her. And so he breaks custom and he leaves her alone as a widow. This is a cruel thing to do. She has no children and no means of providing for herself. So, Tamar devises a plan. She'll present herself as a harlot along a road that Judah walks on. And when Judah passes by her, she'll sleep with him and conceive a child. And her plan works to perfection. And her pregnancy begins to show shortly. But when Judah hears that she is pregnant, he declares that she is a prostitute and should be executed for her sins. But then she reveals the source of her pregnancy, which is, of course, Judah himself. She provides his staff and his ring that he is left with her as a token that Judah is the father. And at the 11th hour, Tamar is spared from execution. So what does this story tell us about Judah? Well, I think we can see Judah is a man who is a hypocrite, and he does not care to look after the interests and safety of others. He's only concerned with his own priorities, with his own pleasure, at the expense of even his own daughter-in-law. 
So as we look at the story of Joseph, we need to be mindful of what kind of men his brothers are. But again, just like so many of the other stories that we've read in Genesis, this is a story of development. We will see both Joseph and his brothers develop as men. So, Joseph is a favorite child of Jacob, given gifts by his father, and especially loved amongst all the sons. And the brothers notice this. And and not only the brothers, Joseph is not exactly bashful about this either. You see, he begins to have dreams. And these dreams seem to be predictive of his own future greatness. So for instance, in one dream, he's binding sheaves of grain in the field with his brothers. And his sheaf of grain stands up above his brother's sheaves and all the other sheaves bow down before him. And a sheaf, by the way, is like a bundle of grain stalks. And so all of these other sheaves are bowing down before Jacob's sheaf. And here, here in another dream, he sees the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to him. And Joseph stupidly tells his brothers all of these dreams. And he keeps none of this to himself. He comes out and he's like, guys, I got to tell you, I had this great dream last night where the sun, the moon, and the stars were bowing down before me. This is ridiculous. Of course, his brothers are not going to take this well. He keeps none of it to himself, and his brother's animosity and jealousy of him only grows. And grow indeed it does, until one day, while his brothers are tending to flocks far away from home, and Jacob sends Joseph to go check on them. Well, they see Joseph coming from a far way away, and they devise a scheme. They'll ambush Joseph and kill him and bring a report back to Jacob that Joseph was slain by a wild animal. But Reuben, the oldest brother, he does not want to take Joseph's life. Um, And so instead, they decide to ambush him still, but instead of killing him, they'll just throw him into a pit. What Reuben wants to do is he wants to go rescue Joseph from the pit in an attempt to gain favor with their father, Jacob, to say like, look, dad, I saved Joseph. Don't you love me so much? But after the others have seized Joseph and they throw him into a pit, a group of Egyptian merchants pass by and the brothers are like, well, or we could sell him as a slave. And so they do it. They sell Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. And then they take his coat, this robe, and they dip it in the blood of an animal. And then they bring it to Jacob and they say that Joseph has been tragically killed by an animal. And this begins the trials of Joseph's life. While his life began with dreams of grandeur, he now finds himself a slave in Egypt. And to Egypt, Joseph goes. And he finds himself as a slave in the home of Potiphar, a wealthy and powerful Egyptian general. And the blessing of God resides on Joseph, and so his work prospers. In fact, Joseph is such a reliable servant that Potiphar places him in charge of the entire household. 
However, Joseph is a young and handsome man, and Potiphar's wife takes an interest in him. And she attempts multiple times to seduce him. And Joseph honorably refuses her. Until one day, Potiphar's wife seizes Joseph, and when he flees from her, she grabs his cloak, pulling it off of him as he runs. And she, upset with Joseph's continual refusal, calls her husband and accuses Joseph of assaulting her, claiming that when she screamed and he fled, that he left his cloak. And Potiphar is understandably irate and sends Joseph to prison. Yet another time that a coat has gotten Joseph into trouble. It might seem like Joseph should give up hope. He can't gain his freedom. He's continually attacked. And all of this as a reward for his faithfulness and honor. Yet, Joseph, the text of Genesis said, showed God steadfast love, and God gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And so again, Joseph is placed in charge of all the operations of his masters. He becomes the keeper of the rest of the prisoners and gains great responsibility. And Joseph's diligence pays off. The Pharaoh's chief baker one day and, and the cupbearer are sent to prison for a suspected coup. And naturally, they meet Joseph, who's in charge of all the prisoners. And the baker and the cupbearer end up actually having repeated dreams. And they start talking about this in the prison. And so when Joseph hears about this, he tells them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, I pray you. I find this fascinating. Because obviously this dream motif is appearing for the second time in this story. But if we think back to the first set of dreams, they have a fairly obvious interpretation. The elevation of Joseph to rule over his brothers. But this dream that Joseph has had has clearly not come true. Where is Joseph now? Is he being worshipped by the sun, the moon, and the stars? No. He's trapped in an Egyptian prison after being unjustly accused of heinous crimes with no trial. Far from your brother's sheaves of grain bowing down before yours. But still... Joseph's trust in the promises of God remains. So the baker and the cupbearer, they share their dreams with Joseph, who interprets them. And now these dreams are darkly humorous. And I want to read some of these to you. Uh, because the cupbearer says this. He says, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the gra grapes and pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So Joseph interprets this dream to mean that in three days, the Pharaoh will find the cupbearer innocent. And Joseph says, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. Now the baker hearing the positive interpretation, shares a similar dream. He says this, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. So Joseph gives this interpretation. Within three days, 
Pharaoh will lift up your head from off of you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Oof. So both men will have their heads lifted, but only one of them in a good way. So Joseph asked the cupbearer, who will soon be restored to his position within Pharaoh's court, to remember him when he's free. And who knows what he said to the baker. Probably, it was nice knowing you. Of course, all that Joseph predicts comes true. And the baker is executed, and the cupbearer goes back to his former job. But he fails to remember Joseph. And Joseph stays imprisoned for two more years. Until one day, the pharaoh has a dream, which troubles him. And the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph and informs Pharaoh of Joseph's ability. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph and shares his dream with him. This is his dream. He says, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile, and seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. And seven other cows came up after them, poor and very gaunt and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin and gaunt cows ate up the first seven fat cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as gaunt as at the beginning. And then I awoke, and I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, and seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So Joseph hears this and offers an interpretation. He says, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. The seven lean and gaunt cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of that famine which will follow, for it will be very grievous. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. And not only does Joseph interpret the dream, but he also gives recommendation for Pharaoh to prepare for the coming seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Joseph says, Therefore, let Pharaoh select a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take the fifth part of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and lay up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine which are to befall the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. So Pharaoh takes this advice. And more than that, He places Joseph in charge of the entire operation. 
So now it seems that Joseph's dreams may be coming true. And unsurprisingly, Joseph's prediction of seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, indeed happens. And because of Joseph's foresight and prudence, Egypt is prepared and is able to survive the famine. And this famine, it would appear, is extreme. The nations surrounding Egypt are decimated, including a group of people we haven't heard much about in a while, Joseph's family. The house of Jacob is affected by this famine, and they hear that there is food in Egypt. And so Jacob sends the brothers to go get grain to bring back home. While Joseph has been imprisoned, Jacob's second and most loved wife, Rachel, has given birth to one more son, a boy named Benjamin. This is Joseph's only full brother, since the other brothers come from Jacob and Leah, or Jacob and his wife's servants. And so, unbeknownst to Joseph, he has another brother. And this is where this story really piques my interest. What did we see the brothers do to the first son of Jacob and Rachel? Well, they plotted to kill him and eventually sold him into slavery because of their jealousy. Benjamin is similarly the favorite son of Jacob since Joseph, he believes, has died. So how will the brothers now treat the second son of Jacob and Rachel? Have they developed as men? Or are they the same vindictive and violent men who they were before? So the brothers arrive at Egypt, and Joseph, who is overseeing the giving of aid to sojourners, and recognizes his brothers. But his brothers, of course, not expecting to find their long-lost brother, fail to recognize Joseph. And so Joseph begins an elaborate plan, not of revenge, but of testing. What kind of men have they become? I think this is a great example of the internal cohesion of the Genesis narrative. All throughout it, the author tells stories of development. We see Abraham grow in his faith as he takes his journey. We see Jacob grow as a man of faith from his father Isaac's house to Laban's house, and then back home again. And now we will see both Joseph grow, but also his brothers, and in particular, his brother Judah. Now, this is also why I strongly encourage you to read the story of Genesis for yourself. This podcast kind of gives you the highlights and the general overview of the story, but there's really so much more if you read it devotionally and on your own. So I think if you go back and read this story on your own, or maybe you've been following along with us, uh, hopefully you'll see there, there are details here that make the story even more rich. So back to the story. Joseph takes his brothers into custody. He detains them and begins to interrogate them. And he accuses them of being spies. And he learns through his interrogation that there's another brother who has not made the journey to Egypt, Benjamin. And Joseph tells his brothers, if they want to prove they are not spies, they must return home and bring Benjamin back, all the while leaving one of them in prison. And they see, the brothers see that this is their only way free, and so they relent and Simeon, Joseph's brother, is bound and put in prison while the other brothers return home. 
Moreover, though, Joseph has also commanded his men to fill the brothers' packs with grain and return all the money that they paid for the grain as well, hiding it in their packs. And so the brothers return home without Simeon. And when they arrive home and unpack, they're greatly dismayed. Not because they received free grain, but because they believe that they failed to pay and will be seen as thieves when they go back, if they ever go back, and probably Simeon has already been killed. But the famine continues, and eventually they need more food. But they've been told they can't come back to Egypt without Benjamin. And Jacob is reticent to send his sons back with Benjamin in case Benjamin is killed. But again, the family needs food. And so Joseph, or excuse me, Judah steps up. He goes to Jacob and says, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my own hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. So Judah stands in for the surety of the life of Benjamin. A far cry for the man he was before. But Joseph wants to be sure of this. So Jacob allows them to go back to Egypt and he goes back and Joseph sees Benjamin and he wants to be sure of the changes that has happened in his, that have happened in his brothers. And so he brings Simeon back out to the brothers and his brothers see that Simeon is still alive and Joseph sends them back their packs again, full of grain. But again, he returns all the payment. And more than that, he takes his own silver cup, Joseph's own silver cup, and puts it in the pack of Benjamin, unbeknownst to Benjamin or the other brothers. And when they're on their way home, while they're still traveling, Joseph sends a group of soldiers to overtake them. And they claim that the brothers have stolen from Joseph. And of course, they utterly deny this. But as Joseph's Egyptian soldiers rifle through their bags, they discover the money and they discover Joseph's silver goblet in the pack of Benjamin. And the brothers panic. They know that this has not been done intentionally by them, but they don't know how they can return to their father with Benjamin in an Egyptian prison or dead. And so this is where Judas steps up. And I want to read this to you because his pleading is impassioned, and I think it's revealing of the man who Judah has become. The text says this. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, let your servant, I pray you, speak a word in my Lord's ear. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age, and his brother is dead. And he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I might set my eyes upon him. But we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. 
And when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us food, we said, we cannot go. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant said, my father said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm befalls him, you will bring down my gray hairs in, sh- in sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became a surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame in the sight of my father all my life. Now, therefore, let your servant, I pray you, remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. And let the lad go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if he is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would come upon my father. So Judah offers himself. He offers himself as a slave to Joseph on behalf of his brother Benjamin. And Joseph, upon hearing this, breaks. He can bear it no longer, and he reveals his identity to his brothers. Their reaction is, of course, fear and dismayed in dismay, accompanied by astonishment. They, and they think that Joseph is out to punish them. But Joseph has only been testing him this time, and they bow down before Joseph in fulfillment of his early dreams. And Joseph ends up bringing his entire family to Egypt to survive the famine. Jacob comes, and he finds his son Joseph is still alive and is able to live out the rest of his days with his family in Egypt. The last two things I want to say about this story as we wrap up the final story in the patriarch's narrative. I want to say this. First, before he dies, Jacob passes on a blessing to his family. And it's Judah who receives this blessing. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and to to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This is fascinating to me, because it is from the line of Jacob that the Savior will come. The one who will fulfill all the promises given to Abraham and the culmination of all salvation history, Jesus, son of Mary, is a descendant of Judah, the one who will receive the kingly scepter. The second is this. After Jacob dies, all of Joseph's brothers become afraid again. They think that maybe Joseph has just kept them alive while their father still lives, but then plans to execute them after he dies. So they come to Joseph and plead for forgiveness. And Joseph's response to them really encapsulates so many of the themes of the entire book of Genesis. Joseph says this, Fear not, 
for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To me, that's a perfect summary of how the providence of God functions. Human beings act in evil ways, but God brings it all to the salvation of many, working his goodness in all things. And that gives me hope. I think that as you learn more about salvation history and the story of the Bible, that providential design will only be more and more reinforced. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. A new episode of the Bible Readers Podcast is released every other Monday. Next time, we'll be hearing from Sarah Chrismeyer, author of the Bible Timeline Guided Journal, on her insights on the era of the patriarchs. Patriarchs. We spent a bunch of time discussing, actually, the matriarchs from these stories that we didn't really focus on in our podcast episodes. So uh, if you're following along with us, be sure to tune in, that, in for that uh, Sarah and I had an amazing conversation and I think you guys will really appreciate her insight. If you enjoyed this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast, I ask that you kindly subscribe and rate us on whatever podcast app you use. It greatly helps get our content out, content out to others. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Bible Readers Podcast. Podcast.